0: Turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. We are continuing with our uh, slow plow through uh, the book of Ephesians this summer. And we're going to look at verses chapter 4, verses 25 through chapter 5, verse 2. We're at a point in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus where there's a significant shift that happens in, uh, in the letter. Paul's focus in the first three chapters uh, have been describing what a good Christian theology looks like. And the last three chapters, four through six, uh, they deal with what good Christian behavior looks like. Um, Another way you might say it, that there is a shift, a pretty dramatic shift, in discussion from orthodoxy, that is right thinking, to orthopraxy, which is right living. And today's text is a reminder to the church that we can, if we, you and me, cannot follow what Paul is describing here as to how the community of faith behaves with each other, then we can guarantee the larger world outside in the boardrooms, classrooms or the public square they're not going to get it either so it begins with us hear the word of the lord ephesians chapter 4 beginning with verse 25 paul writes so then putting away falsehood let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors For we are all members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear them. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger, wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. In 1978 or thereabouts, the church, um, well, the church has quite a story. You see, it started not too long after the Civil War, had a long history. In 1978 or thereabouts, it boasted of about 500 members which for a Presbyterian church in a small mountain town was pretty respectable. The late 1970s and the early 80s brought a new civil war, however, to the community, but this time the civil war happened in the church itself. Now, it's helpful for you to know that the Presbyterian church had a major split back in the 1860s. It separated itself from the southern church and the northern church. Sadly, the split occurred over the issue of slavery. And the split occurred and was maintained until 1986, when the two churches finally reunited together, finally reconciled. Now as time for the reunification drew closer, the church that I was speaking of a moment ago began to get uneasy. Well over half the members of the church did not want to unify with those northern churches because, in their words, those blankety-blank northern liberals. And the big overriding theological Issue at the time was the ordination of women as pastors. Add to this the confluence of a gross, jingoistic fundamentalism. This is what split that church. It was ugly. Families were torn apart because of the split. Brothers, literally brothers in the same family, quit talking to each other. Cousins were forbidden to play with other cousins. There was shouting during the church services. And it all led up to that fateful day when literally all hell broke loose. The pastor got up as he did every Sunday, walked across the street. Back then they had Manses, you know, the place where the pastor lived. And it was across the street from the church. So the pastor got up and he walked across the street to his office To get things going for Sunday, his wife and two daughters would follow and wander over a little bit later in the morning for Sunday school and worship. And the day was going along just fine until the pastor and the family went home after church, only to discover that the house had been broken into. Someone broke into the manse during the church services and ransacked the entire house. Beds, the daughter's beds were sliced up. Walls had holes punched in them. Windows were broken. The pastor's wife had a baby grand piano that had its strings cut and the contents of the refrigerator poured into it. Perhaps the most hateful Thing they discovered were all the spray painted epithets and words of hate and threats towards the pastor and his family leading down the hallway to his child's bedrooms. Over the course of weeks, it was discovered wink wink that a group of people from the church itself who opposed the reunification of the two sides broke into the church while the pastor was preaching because he knew no one would be home. And The following Sunday, the presbytery came wanting to talk with what's going on with folks in the church. And the pastor and the members of the presbytery and those who did not want to... They didn't want to prevent the reunification. They wanted to unify the church. They were literally locked out. There were chains and padlocks on the door of this church. Indeed, there were armed men guarding the doors literally. A few fights broke out, it was an ugly day. It was not a good day for the kingdom of God. The spirit was grieved. Eventually, the court case made it all the way to the Georgia State Supreme Court. And that church split, and the animosity between the two sides forever boiled. Eight years later, I would bring my wife, my three year old, and newborn to the first call I ever had as a pastor and took over that little church that had now dwindled down to 80 people. Listening to the stories. Listening to the stories of those church members and town folk. It was just a sad lesson of church politics that I could never learn in seminary. If only... If only they would have heeded the words in Paul's letter today. You see, Paul's words to the Ephesian church were not written in some vacuum. They're very applicable then. They are very applicable now. They say imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. And if people could have imitated God and live in love with each other in the midst of their disagreements, the outcomes would have been so much different. Lies were told. Anger boiled over into expressions of violence. Sides were taken up and the church eventually died. Because the people decided to tear each other down instead of building up. This is what Paul is speaking about in Scripture. This is what is behind Paul's call for ethical behavior among members of the family. This is what it means to imitate Christ. Speaking truth is difficult at times. Truth can make a person uncomfortable because it acts as a mirror reflecting back to that individual a reality that he or she may not want to see. Truth in a community is vital for the community's health. As one scholar noted, without truth, authentic community fails. Think about that. Without truth, authentic community fails. It's when truth is hard to hear or hard to accept that a person can become angry. The tendency when anger arises is that we fort up and we put a wall between ourselves and those that we are angry with. And Paul is telling us that ethically it is okay for a person to become angry. But it's not okay if that anger isn't addressed and division occurs. What is necessary is to be able to express that hurt, express that anger, express that confusion truthfully so that understanding, consensus, and yes, maybe some compromise can emerge speaking the truth in love is anger's antidote. Church, Paul is reminding us that we are to take care of each other here. When you and I are baptized as members of this church, we are called to help one another into growing into what? The image of God. We are called to build up one another. Why? Because if we don't, Paul reminds us that we will afflict pain upon the Holy Spirit. We will afflict pain on the Holy Spirit. Hence, we have Paul's call to put away bitterness, to put away wrath, to put away feelings of malice. And intentionally, and sometimes inconveniently, I will add, Replace them with kindness, deep feeling, tenderheartedness, forgiveness. Forgiveness. You know, there's an interesting side note about the word forgiveness. It is the same, it comes from the same root word the word grace comes from. Charis. So when you forgive somebody, you're actually gracing them. You're literally gifting them something that they don't deserve. Isn't that neat? Anyway, I thought it was. For centuries, my friends, the church has had to, as Paul says, prevent the devil from getting a foothold inside it. It has to work hard to do that. It requires speaking the truth in love. It means acknowledging our hurt together and moving on together with forgiveness, giftingness of letting go. Paul is not being Pollyanna here. Paul is telling the church that because of what we believe about Jesus, our personal life should reflect, reflect that to one another in this place which in turn reflects how we do it out there in the world. Friends, it reflects how we do our civics, how we do our politics out there. If people like you and me, the members of the body of Christ, the church, cannot lovingly tell one another the truth in love, we can't expect the world out there to get it either. Friends, as your pastor, I want you to know that I have witnessed this church's leadership The session you elected guided by the Holy Spirit make every attempt to imitate God as beloved children. They speak hard truth and love to each other. They express frustration at each other sometimes, even anger with one another, but they always work it out. I see leadership in this church attempt to build one another up in kindness, in forgiveness, opening their hearts up to each other. I am proud to serve with these women and men that you have called, that the Spirit has led to lead in this church. And friends, I can't always say that about churches I've served in. Over the last year, your session has had to make some difficult decisions in its desire to pursue truth and in its attempt to imitate what Jesus would do in the world today. Our conversations have been lively at times. Our conversations have lasted, quite frankly, longer than they needed to sometimes. But we always arrived at a place where there was no anger, where we could agree to disagree agreeably. We were building each other up. It has wrestled this last year with COVID issues and COVID protocols. It's had to adjust church schedules that made people uncomfortable and that were inconvenient for others. It has had to make strategic, tough, financial strategic decisions. It addressed issues of sexual ethics. And we did it all by building each other up. I am proud to be a pastor of a group of leaders who were living out imitating God. You should too. Amen. you need to be proud of them too. Your leadership knows that in order to change the world out there, we first had better be able to work it out in here. Together as sisters and brothers in Christ. The church is tasked, with the strategic responsibility to model for the culture what it means to work things through together. Without becoming fractured. Without diverging into separate camps. Friends, I'm proud of this church. Proud of your leadership. let's all continue to imitate god and give the world something to talk about and all of god's people say amen pray with me holy spirit beloved of god we come and lord i marvel at what you have done in this church over the last several years This church too has gone through its ups and downs. And Lord, as pastor, I can stand here today and celebrate the fact that your faithful beloved at First Prayers, Fort Lauderdale, uh, they're about building each other up. What a gift and a witness. Holy Spirit of God, continue to pour your blessings upon these, your people, in order that we will make a difference for Jesus Christ in this community and beyond. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing our closing hymn.